It just starts with the idea that that everyone, regardless of whether your work is in technology, paving, or public schools, is committed to the notion of helping lift up our neighbors with the assets that they need. This is episode 293 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. It was 2014 when we last spoke with Arlington, Virginia's Jack Belcher about the community's fiber optic network. This week he's back and he's joined by Katie Crystal, County Board Chair. The network has been up and running for several years now, providing better connectivity for government facilities and community anchor institutions, leasing out dark fiber, and now they've developed a new program to help shrink the digital divide. In this interview, Jack and Katie give us details about the Arlington Digital Inclusion Initiative, including why, where, and how local government departments are working together. Jack also fills us in on what's next for Connect Arlington and shares some lessons learned. Now here's Jack Belcher and Katie Crystal from Arlington, Virginia. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance up in Minneapolis. And today I'm speaking with Katie Crystal, the chair of the Arlington County Board in Virginia. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. And we also have repeat guest Jack Belcher, Arlington County Chief Information Officer. Welcome back, Jack. Uh, thank you for inviting us. Well, this is uh, a particularly good show. We've done a couple of shows recently about uh, digital divide issues, how we can use smart investments to try to make sure everyone gets uh, benefits of the Internet. Um, and we're going to be talking about that at the beginning of this show. But first, I think, Katie, I'd like to ask you to just tell us a little bit about what the Connect Arlington is, please. Connect Arlington is a fiber optic, high speed and dedicated network that we built here in Arlington. It links uh, both our county facilities like community centers um, and public safety institutions, as well as the buildings for our Arlington public schools. And the goal of Connect Arlington is to ensure that our governmental and school services and and facilities will um, benefit both today and then increasingly in the long run, because we know the demand for digital services and connectivity is only continuing to grow. And Jack, I'm curious if you have anything to add on to that. It's really a trademark of Arlington. Uh, we have this vision that uh, we don't do the easy. And uh, what, this wouldn't have been successful if it wasn't for the elected leadership we have who basically act as a, a board of directors and said, you know, does this make sense? And uh, this has been an effort. It's been a six-year effort to complete. And this month, in fact, we'll be completing the, uh, the build-out of Connect Arlington to uh, over 93 schools across the county, I mean, county buildings, uh, over 250 traffic uh, signals will be managed by this. A public safety radio network is being carried over that. Uh, it, it's been a, a real success. And again, it's a, a tribute to just a, a combined uh, will to make it happen. I really appreciate you both coming on the show and also that having focused on local government policies for 10 years, I have to say that that the kind of progress that Arlington's made is remarkable and does show really good leadership. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your saying so. And, um, you know, I, we, a lot of credit does go to my predecessors on the Arlington County Board, um, including one that just recently retired off the board. And um, what has been so exciting is to see the fruition of not only that vision for uh, kind of digital self-reliance, right, uh, to, to get to your point, but also to start to see some some of these applications, especially on issues that have to do with equity, which I know is what brings us uh, to the conversation today. 
Yes, and and we'll dive right into that. I would be remiss if I didn't say for people who are unfamiliar with uh, the D.C. area that Arlington is a compressed, populous county, right? And it's a part of the, the metro region of the D.C. area. And I think that brings us to Arlington Mill. Um, Katie, why don't you tell us what's happening and how you're using Connect Arlington in this specific way to try and uh, make sure everyone can access the Internet? Absolutely. So Arlington Mill is uh, both a community center um, and it's a public-private partnership that includes housing, um, which is uh, was developed and is now operated by the Arlington Partnership for Affordable Housing. There's 102 committed affordable units there, um, renting at 40, 50, and 60 percent of our area median income, um, and a lot of kids, a lot of kids in our public schools. So Arlington Mill is a terrific location for us to help pilot this idea, this this uh, proof of concept about bridging, bridging the digital divide because it is um, shared space effectively with the community center, um, which already has the necessary infrastructure needed for the dark fiber connection. So a lot of things have really come together to make Arlington Mill and the families that live there um, a great place to start in our efforts to bridge the digital divide. Jack, let me let me ask you to fill in a little bit of, um, of some technical details. And that's that um, because this is a a, a part of a larger investment. You already have the fiber there, but what are, what's happening technically to be able to bring internet access to these communities? It, we were fortunate because we had a community center there first and we extended uh, communications, government communications there, wireless and cell phone. And we recognized right off the bat that it, we didn't have the wireless connectivity we needed there, primarily for our first responders. If, they, if there was a 911 call and they had to go into that facility, they didn't have coverage. And we found out it wasn't only... They didn't have coverage over the public safety radio network that people who had wireless plans would say Verizon and AT&T couldn't get connectivity. So what we did, we addressed it from the perspective of the public safety side, and we put a distributed antenna system in there. And so what that allowed us to do is to provide for that coverage for the 911 calls that would come in. So when somebody gets a call, they go out to a building, they can't get in, they can't get communications, time is really important. So by putting this in, it laid a foundation. And so what we did, since we, we had that ability to put in the distributed antenna system, we put in what was called a neutral host capability. And so what we did is we had slots in a service that powered the rest of the building. And so what we could do is put bring Verizon in or AT&T and such. So the foundation was laid. And so when this initiative came up with the idea of uh, this idea of how do we extend connectivity to to the, those who may not have that access, uh, we had the foundation on the ground and ready to go, and we just laid on top of that with the partners that we brought in to make it happen. So this was quite a success. That's why this is a really remarkable project. And so let me come back to Katie and ask you, if I'm a family that's moving into this area, how, how does it change if I was moving into a different area that did not have these uh, services that you're making available? Our families who live in Arlington Mill residences and other committed affordable units around the county um, do tend to be modest to lower income. Um, again, the, the the units themselves rent at 40 or 50 or 60 percent of area median income, and many of those families actually also receive um, housing grants. So they are folks uh, who are on the lower end of the economic spectrum. Um, and we know that um, data and internet is expensive, right? We we have some data actually about Arlington Mill residences now that suggest. Um, you 
you know, of the households that are able to pay for data and internet, their plans typically cost $45 to $70 a month. Um, so for a family moving into the area, especially a low-income family moving into the area, it can be really hard to be connected. It might mean a trade-off between that um, and other essential services. So um, this really is one of the areas of, of um, equity or lack thereof it for the 21st century. Um, and so that's why it's so important to be able to offer this option to families. And so families that are moving in here, then they will have um, access to a, a wireless service or um, a, a service in their home. How exactly um, does the technology work? It's, uh, it comes down to wireless. What we've done is we've worked with the, the people who run that facility. It's called APA. Arlington. What does APA stand for? Arlington Partnership for Affordable Housing. Thank you. So the danger of the acronym. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I caused that blip in this discussion. But no, what we did is uh, we we extended uh, to partnerships uh, the ability to have uh, to wash that entire facility with with wireless, as I was talking about earlier. And now they have uh, they have gigabit access. It's synchronous. In other words, whatever you got coming down is what you have going back up. And normally, when you deal with Comcast or Verizon, there's a degradation in in speeds, and so it's not synchronous. And so, but providing this, we really are providing true broadband access at a, at a, a gigabit speed. To the to all of the uh, residents in that facility, the difference is significant. I mean, look at it from the perspective of education. I know the schools in Arlington are, are moving on a one-to-one uh, learning model, where it's more than just providing someone with a tool, a tablet. It's providing them with the learning materials to be able to be able to understand the courses they're being taught and to and to grow. In some part of the county, many parts of the county, people have access to to high-speed internet access. At this one facility. The schools would offer what they call MiFi Wi-Fi, and it's really a little Wi-Fi device, and they offered it free, offer them the ability to get access to materials. The problem was that the speed at which that operates is a, a mere fraction of the speed you would get from a commercial internet access, as Katie is referring to. And so they're really, these kids are at a disadvantage, and there are a number of kids in this complex uh, who are relying on that. But providing this now, it sort of levels the, the playing field, and they have now equitable access to anyone else in any other part of the county. And I think that's really the critical thing from a, a K-12 aspect. Also, when you look from a K to gray aspect of this, uh, having the ability to have that access is so important from health and human services education standpoint, to be able to get medical care, to find out about, inf- about where to get a job, or, uh, many other things that, that, that they, you have to do in your life, to have that ability in that facility it's just extraordinary, and it's it again, as Katie was saying, it just levels the playing field. I have never heard that before. Did I hear correctly that you said K to gray? K to gray. Right? Well, that's brilliant. <laughs> that is brilliant. That that's that's terrific. I never heard that before, and I love that it it came from um, um, from you, Jack, who you just have a, a wonderful way of speaking. I remember that from the last time that we spoke, Katie. Let's let's turn to something that um, as a as a fellow policy geek, I know that you're very interested in. That's how this gets funded. How how did you end up uh, pulling this together? Well, I think the funding here is actually a really intriguing part of the story and says something about the way we think about connectivity and access in the 21st century as a critical piece of infrastructure in the same way that, you know, uh, roads and um, transit, for example, might be. So um, Columbia Pike, which is actually my neighborhood and is where Arlington Mill is located, is um, one of actually the most diverse corridors in America. At one point, we were called the world in a zip code by the Brookings Institute. And as we have, as a county, set a plan for the future of Columbia Pike, 
it's been really important to all of us that we preserve our diversity and we know that it's really important to protect some of our affordability in order to do that. So some years ago, um, the board approved what's called tax increment financing for Columbia Pike. Um, and that, of course, is an instrument we see throughout Arlington and, of course, throughout the country. Basically, as property tax revenues grow with redevelopment and property appreciation, some increment of the additional property tax revenue is set aside and dedicated for a specific purpose. And in Columbia Pike, it was going to be dedicated or it is dedicated to the specific purpose of infrastructure for affordable housing initiatives. So when a developer, a market rate developer comes in, there's an expectation that they'll make some contributions to the sidewalks, undergrounding utilities, etc. Um, what we typically think of as infrastructure. Um, and the TIF funding allows us to um, help along the development of committed affordable housing um, by alleviating the pressures on the developer, the affordable housing developer, to raise that capital to fund those infrastructure improvements. This is the first time we're using that tax increment financing or TIF money to pay for the infrastructure of internet connectivity, of high-speed internet. And so um, that TIF funding is providing a grant, about $95,000, um, for this initiative. Um, and uh, that's where the money comes from. And we think it's kind of a nice signal about what infrastructure means in our current day and age. Yes, we've seen the tax increment financing in some other places as well. Uh, we've discussed it on this show previously with Eugene, Oregon, and uh, we've also written about it in Valparaiso, Indiana, as well as several others. So I'm, I really appreciate the explanation. It's one of the clearer explanations we've had for it. One other thing that I really wanted to bug you about, Katie, was the, the collaboration. Because when we were looking into what was happening here, you know, I noticed um, Department of Technology Services, Department of Community Planning, um, Housing and Development – those are the organizations that have all been involved with Arlington Mills, as well as the Partnership for Affordable Housing. Has there been any challenges of having so many different groups working together? I'll just say that we've seen a lot of projects falter because the heads of different departments didn't feel like they had to work together. They didn't feel like there'd be a penalty if they just didn't work well together. Interesting question, right, that we know is true across policy areas, the, the challenges of the silos, for example. Um, I think one of the reasons this project was set up for success, or actually that this project even um, germinated or, or took root uh, initially, um, is that it's true, I think, across the organization of Arlington County government, that there really is a shared commitment um, to the notions of inclusion, to the notion that, um, you know, our county should be a place where everyone gets a leg up, where everyone is helped along, and certainly where we're all working to interrupt cycles of intergenerational disadvantage. Um, I don't know that every Department of Technology Services feels that the way Jack and his team do. Um, and I think that's a pretty remarkable thing. So I know um, when, when they brought this idea to the county board, um, we were all incredibly enthusiastic about it. And it was what was really exciting is um, that the idea uh, started with this, again, commitment to equity, but it came out of the people who had the technical expertise to make it so. You know, it wasn't just a, a, a nonprofit advocacy group in the community or just our human services department saying, hey, we know our families need it. Um, it was our technical people who uh, knew not only that our families needed it, but had some idea about how to realize it. And I think that's been so essential. Um, I'm sure Jack could talk a little bit too about the partnership. Of course, there are multiple parties um, involved here. It's a cooperative effort between uh, the county, the Arlington Partnership 
partnership for affordable housing and then the service providers that will be selected by them. Um, so that is a lot of layers of, of government. You know, some of that is a reflection of um, the sort of climate that we're in. You know, we uh, firmly uh, are not a community network provider. And so there was a need to bring in a provider as well as the partner in APA. So, you know, there, there are always hiccups along the way and challenges along the way. We're fortunate to have a really high capacity partner in the Arlington Partnership for Affordable Housing um, that is quite savvy about um, capital financing, development, et cetera. So we're, we're fortunate to draw on them too. But again, I really think in terms of breaking down those silos, it just starts with the idea that, that everyone, um, regardless of whether your work is in technology, paving, or public schools, is committed to the notion of helping lift up our neighbors with the assets that they need. It's an interesting answer that you give that is very honest. And, and I want to see how you react to me putting it in a, in a little bit of a more brutal way. And that's if a community comes to me and says, look, we really need to get the, to this end. And they have departments that aren't used to working together and they have leadership of departments that are more interested in building kingdoms and working together. Um, you can't just find sort of find a great mayor or chair of a board that's going to force them to work together. It sounds like it's more like you have to get your house in order before you tackle these kinds of projects. Is that accurate, do you think? I couldn't agree more with that characterization. And, you know, my background when I'm not um, helping lead in Arlington is uh, is in education policy. And so that is so resonant, right, that it's uh, the kind of great man theory of public policy, that it's one really talented superintendent or mayor that could make a difference. It just, of course, you need folks who pair uh, the shared value with of whether it's collaboration or equity or anything else um, with their technical expertise. One person can never have the technical expertise to identify opportunities and to bring them to fruition. And so if there isn't that shared set of values or mission, um, you are going to have an uphill battle. Absolutely. And Jack, I'm curious, you've been running uh, the department for quite um, a period of time. Um, Does that resonate with you as well? It's so true what uh, Katie said. The time I've been here, there's never been a time where I haven't gone up to a colleague in another department or to a board member, elected official, and said, I need your help. And they haven't given it. And they sat down and tried to figure out how to make it happen. And when you think about what happened at Arlington Mill, uh, you know, we were what we call a Dillon Rule state. So there's certain things we can do and not do, Virginia is. And one of the things we can't do is we can't offer services over this. Some jurisdictions in some other parts of the country could just come in and say, okay, we want to, we're going to provide wireless Internet access to this area and they go do it. We're not allowed to do that. So what we can do is we can provide the transit or the tracks to be able to make it happen, but we have to rely on others to, to actually in, in, uh, engage it and make it happen. So we not only reached out to our, our friends in the schools, we reached out to the Department of Health and uh, Human Services, and uh, we reached out to our housing people. We reached out to the commercial sector, uh, and we said we need help doing this. We can't go in and provide the services. We had two companies come forward and say we'll do it, and we'll do it for the common good, the public good, and uh, and they licensed our dark fiber to be able to provide that connectivity. We went to a university, Virginia Tech, uh, who was a, a resident here, and we said, here's the challenge we got. We need to be able to have this access, this high-speed pipe to the Internet to be able to provide for this. And they stepped forward. No questions. They just said, when do we show up? And they got, we got them in a room, talked it through, and the whole idea was get it done. And, uh, you know, it's still a work in progress. We've got to demonstrate this is a pilot effort. It's... We feel if we can demonstrate value here, it can be extended to other other places like that, like uh, the one at Allenton Mill for affordable housing. And so uh, we're still in that process. But it's been a success because of the sort of the commitment to, to make it happen. And I think that's the that's what makes Allenton so unique. 
Well, as we're heading toward wrapping up, I want to just quickly catch people up because in episode 97, when you were last on the show, Jack, you gave us a lot of details um, about the approach that you were using, getting four conduits in the ground, talking about how you'd worked with um, Dominion Energy. It's a, it's a lot of high level of detail from that discussion. And I think people will be curious, um, you know, in part because of this Dylan rules limitation, let's say that you're more challenged in terms of getting economic development results uh, from the network. Work. And so I'm curious if you have any lessons learned that you can share with us. Certainly. Um, again, it's been a, a success. Uh, as I said, in the first week of March, we'll have completed the, the build-out of the network for all our public safety, uh, county buildings, school buildings, and such, all our traffic signals. So the success is there. The cost of ordinance has been significant. Uh, if we had relied on an institutional network that we got through a cable television franchise with uh, Comcast, and Comcast no longer wanted to provide that. They gave us a, an estimate of the cost to be able to provide that connectivity going forth. That was in 2013, and the cost was around $8 million a year. The county, because we were building this network, avoided those costs. That is significant. If we think about five years now and the costs that have been avoided, is it a success? Yes. What we did at the same time we did it, and you're right, we had four conduits in the ground. We laid 10 miles of fiber throughout urban corridor, we went from uh, Rosalind to Courthouse to Boston to Columbia Pike and then down into Crystal City and across, the Pen- across Fort Myer to the Pentagon. And we wanted to make that a, a source of uh, economic development. Could they use that? Could they inspire innovation? Um, and we've had challenges. And the challenges have been just the, the idea that we're a government and we operate successfully for many years and now we deal with a brand new technology that has all kinds of nuances related to it. And so looking at a fiber optic line and say we'd look at a gas line going to a house just doesn't fit. And so we have to rethink how we, we deal with those types of challenges. And so what we're doing right now is taking a step back. We've got 10 miles on the ground of uh, 864 strands of dark fiber, significant investment going through our urban corridor. How do we inspire more innovation? And one of the things we're thinking about is What's the role of government? And could government make this available as a platform for innovation? And not just a platform that we have restrictions around, but there's a thought about permissionless access to innovation. By that, I mean, we tend to put a lot of restrictions and guidelines on what people can do with things. And when you think about how the Internet was created, it was a, a research network. It then morphed into a, a commercial network that allowed you to, to buy goods online and do other things. It was a development. And I think we're at that stage now with this network we've laid this fiber optic network, is where do we go with it? And so tonight, in fact, we're beginning a series of discussions with a manager's committee that's been formed. The county manager's created a, a committee that has brought together people from diverse interests to look at what we've done with Connect Arlington for economic development purposes, that 10-mile stretch, and what could be the possible. And we really made an effort not to, not to weigh the committee towards one conclusion. And so we have, we have a former commissioner from the FCC who's going to be sitting on it who came out of the Obama administration. Uh, and so, you know, he's, he's sort of on that one side of the spectrum. At the same time, we're bringing somebody in from George Mason University who's actually on the other side. Uh, they, they, they uh, an institution that really believes it's very conservative. And then we've got people in between who are both users, builders, uh, and thought leaders. And the idea is to put before them, here's what we're trying to do. The model we set up isn't, isn't, hasn't really hit that, that sweet spot yet, but how do we get that to get to that sweet spot? And it's more than, you know, communicating the value of something like this. You could talk about speed, and speed means a huge amount of things. 
But it's more than that. It's the benefit they're going to get. What does it mean to the business owner who wants to move into a section of Arlington? And what, what will this capability give them that they couldn't get somewhere else in some other community? And it goes every every spectrum imaginable, from healthcare to uh, video to uh, research, big data analysis and the such. So that's the challenge we're going down right now. And that committee we've put together has a very short time frame on it. Uh, we we're talking about six weeks in number of meetings where they're going to listen to what's possible, see what we've done, and then come back and make a recommendation to the manager and hopefully to the board that says, you know, we looked at it, we've taken a step back, and we think there needs to be these modifications to make this work. So, you know, I'm, I'm very uh, confident we're going to find something, that there's something that's going to come out of this. I, I believe the asset we put in the ground is going to have so much value in the future. It's, it's, uh, it, we just have to find how best to make that happen. And so that's the, the challenge we have right now. Well, that's great. Um, I'm curious if you have any final thoughts, Katie, in terms of um, this, uh, the Connect Arlington and the benefits for the community um, more generally as we wrap up. You know, just that we appreciate the opportunity to be part of the conversation and sharing lessons with other localities. This is, of course, a, a rapidly evolving field, not just in terms of the, um, the the technology that we're working with, but but also understanding, you know, the legal and regulatory landscape. So, as Jack mentioned, we're always kind of cognizant of the of the legal landscape in which we operate in as a locality in a Dillon rural state. But you know, there every locality can sometimes feel like it has idiosyncratic conditions. And so this chance to exchange ideas and, and learn from others is, is really exciting. And, um, you know, we uh, we don't know that we've got it all figured out yet, uh, but we're really happy to share our work along the way and uh, and just grateful to you for, for helping us uh, chat about it today. Well, thank you so much for both of you coming on the show and sharing uh, lessons and inspiring others. Thank you. Thank you. That was Christopher with Katie Crystal and Jack Belcher discussing Connect Arlington and Virginia and their new digital inclusion initiative. Check out muninetworks.org for more stories on the network. We have transcripts from this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. You can also email us at podcasts at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. We want to thank Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. And we want to thank you for listening to episode 293 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Mm-hmm.